The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. I want to get into the Word this morning, and as we do get into the Word, I want to offer a few things to think about. Now, most of the time, you, I'm sure you're familiar with the power of routine. A uh, number of things that, that take place in our daily lives become very routine, and routines are not necessarily a bad thing. Now, if you're like me, uh, your, your routine is constantly interrupted, like you're in a constant state of adjustment, right? And that's okay, like that's, that's, that's a, a good thing that, uh, that interrupts the things that become so common and so uh, mundane, keeps things exciting a little bit. Uh, but sometimes when uh, in, in routine is interrupted, it can introduce uh, frustration. I want to talk about some things this morning that can help us uh, with those things. So here's a few things that we're finding. If you have some materials out to take some notes, it's a, it's a good thing to do. A few things that we're going to find as we get into the Word this morning is what God equips us to produce. You've been equipped to produce things with your life. And with, when I say your life, I don't just mean your existence. I mean the things that make up your life, your, your daily interactions, the words that you speak, the, the thoughts that you think, the things that you do. Uh, no matter what, we're always in a constant state of producing. Uh, the question is, are we producing the right things? And God has equipped us to produce some very specific things. Another thing that we're going to find is what losing it results in. How many in the room here have ever lost it before? I mean, I put losing it in quotes because I figured, I think most people know what that means, right? Uh, I mean, I've, I've been tempted to lose it often. I try to keep it together and not lose it. But, you know, sometimes it, you just get stretched beyond your capacities and, and you just, you lose it. Uh, whether that results in saying things that you shouldn't say, doing things you shouldn't do, a combination of the two, I mean, those are realities in our life. If we came into church and, and we all pretended like we don't lose it, I think we would be uh, liars one to another. So we're going to talk about what happens, what, what losing it results in. And then when we find that out, it's actually helpful. Because when you find out what losing it results in, you realize why there's such an attempt from your enemy to cause you to lose it. To make you just, you know, lose your temper, lose your cool, whatever you want to define it as... He wants you to lose it because it results in, in nasty business. We'll see what that uh, is in the scripture. A third thing we're going to find is the, the right perspective that's needed to have self-control. The right perspective. I mean, perspective is a powerful thing. Uh, oftentimes, you know, I use that word probably more than the average person, and, and I, I don't know what I would even base that on. I just feel like I use the word perspective a lot. Uh, now, I work with people that are very uh, uh, different in their, their uh, backgrounds and history and things like that, so I'm aware of all kinds of different perspectives. I'm sure that you work with people that are from diverse backgrounds and things, and maybe, maybe that's a common thing for you to think about. Uh, perspective is, is everything. I mean, think about what the power of perspective produces, and it'll make you realize why perspective is so important. I mean, like, here's just kind of a loose example. This isn't a specific example or anything, but one thing can be said or done and can be seen by two different people, and, and it can be viewed as something completely different, you know? Like, like I might offer a compliment to my wife. Now, I, I offer that compliment. I see it the way I see it. She sees it the way she sees it. 
from me to her. It could be a compliment from her to me. It could be like, what's that supposed to mean, right? So there's the power of perspective, and it changes depending on, on what your viewpoint is. So there's a certain viewpoint that we need to take as it concerns self-control in order to make self-control an active part of our lives. So we're going to find what that is. As we get into the word here, I want us to, to lay a base. We've used this over the past couple of weeks, and I want to offer it again. Second uh, Peter chapter 1, if you have your Bible, Second Peter chapter 1. And 2 Peter chapter 1, we're going to read a, a, an extended portion of this passage, and we're going to focus on one element. Obviously, our hand has been tipped here. We're going to focus on the element of self-control. But as Peter's writing, he's writing to the church, he's writing to believers, and as he's writing to the group of believers that he's writing to, he speaks of some really incredible and powerful things. Uh, he opens up his letter with a greeting in, in verse 2, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus, seeing that God has given you everything by his divine power that you need for life and godliness, and through the true knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by these things he's granted to us precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you might become partakers in his divine nature and escape the corruption that is in this world by Lust. Now, there's a lot of wonderful things there. I'm stopping reading, and I just want to comment. Basically, what's being written here is that God has given you things that are meant to change your life, to make you less worldly and more heavenly in every aspect of, of that concept, that God has given you wonderful promises so that you can have the same nature that he has. And this makes sense because from the very beginning, you see, you know, as God makes creation, he says, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. Well, this is a work that's going on right here and now by the Holy Spirit as God is fulfilling these wonderful promises and pouring out these wonderful gifts into our lives so that we can partake in or participate in his nature. Uh, I'm going to go on and, and begin reading again here in verse 5. It says, now for this reason, make sure with all diligence to apply to your faith moral excellence and in your moral excellence knowledge and in knowledge, self-control, and in self-control, perseverance, and in perseverance, godliness, and in godliness, brotherly kindness, and in brotherly kindness, love. If these qualities are yours and increasing, they will render you neither uh, unfruitful or unproductive in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. It goes on to say that the one that lacks these qualities is short-sighted, having forgotten their purification from former sins. Therefore, be diligent to make certain of his calling and choosing you. As long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. That's a powerful promise. As long as these things are part of your life, you will always succeed. And then it goes on to up the ante even more in verse 11. For in this way is granted entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and it will be abundantly supplied to you. Now, that's a lot of reading. And if you're like me, it's too much reading. Like by the time you get through a couple of those lines, you just start hearing like, do you remember Charlie Brown, the teacher, right? I get there and I get there really fast. But, but the point of this is that these are things that God's blessed us with. He's given us these things. And when God gives wonderful gifts, it's worth making a note of those things. I mean, the idea that God would give moral excellence and call us to live by moral excellence. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. It's a really powerful thing. And you can see moral excellence is under attack in, in our culture, big time. 
I mean, there's such an attempt to, to compromise morality or to uh, reinterpret what morality is or, or, or what should be accepted as moral. And, and all of these things are, are meant to pull the foundation out from under what God has laid on our behalf through these precious promises. And then from, from uh, moral excellence was knowledge, and we looked at knowledge, and, and it, it was moral wisdom or the wisdom to, to do what's, what's moral. From here, we're, we're moving on to self-control. Now, self-control is something that I think is really important for people to focus on. Uh, self-control is, is a very unnatural thing. And I'll, I'll get into a passage of Scripture that will confirm that. Uh, in fact, let me just do that right now. Uh, I mentioned before we're going to find out what God equips us to produce. Uh, let's just get that out of the way for the sake of your notes. Uh, you can write down Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23. It may sound very familiar, and if so, that, that's great. This is where we find what we refer to as the fruits of the Holy Spirit. And when we consider this, we'll, we'll read the passage, and then we'll, we'll, we'll pour a little thought into it. It reads like this. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and then it ends with self-control. And what I realize as we look at this passage of Scripture is these are all things that the Holy Spirit produces. Well, that's a, a really wonderful thing to consider. It's not hard for me to wrap my mind around the, the truth that the Holy Spirit produces these things. Now, where, where I have to, to have my mind renewed is the idea that the Holy Spirit is in me producing these things. And when you consider the presence of the Holy Spirit, you're considering the point of the gospel. And, and oftentimes in our music, in our song, in our celebration, we, we pick and choose elements to celebrate, and rightfully so, because there are many elements to celebrate. We can celebrate the cross of Jesus Christ. Well, that's a wonderful thing to celebrate, that, that he would be the, as the Bible puts it, propitiation for our sins, that he would take our place. It's a really big word, but all it means is that Jesus took your place. You deserved it, but he took it, right? So sometimes we focus on the cross and we celebrate that, and rightfully so. Sometimes we celebrate the empty tomb, right? Because that's a wonderful thing to celebrate that Jesus rose uh, from the grave. A lot of people have died for God and Jesus came out of the grave. That kind of sets him apart, right? I mean, that's a little bit uh, awesome. In fact, the word says that God affirmed or confirmed him as the son of God or the Messiah by resurrection from the dead. That's a really big deal. It's a part of our, our faith, right? If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, that, that Jesus is who he says he is, that God sent him, and that God rose him from the dead, or raised him from the dead, excuse me. Uh, these are parts, are, are foundational parts of our faith. We can focus on that. And I think that's a fantastic thing to focus on. And then there's an element that, that we need to focus on, in my opinion, as it concerns what we're talking about here with the fruits of the Holy Spirit, and that's Jesus' fulfillment of the promise to send a helper. Jesus' fulfillment of the promise to see the Holy Spirit poured out on all flesh. And when it comes down to it, that's really the ultimate goal. I mean, think about any kind of a race, right? I mean, you have different points in the race where you're kind of like, well, we're a quarter of a way done. Well, we're halfway done. Well, we're three quarters of the way done. Well, you're not done until you cross the finish line. Like, that's, that's it. And when we consider the gospel, we can see the ministry of Jesus Christ, that he would be, you know, born of a virgin and that he would come and, and minister and bring truth and that there would be a wonderful signs and wonders and miracles and, and people liberated and set free. All of that's wonderful. 
That's about a quarter of the way there. And then you see the cross of Jesus Christ, that he would be the propitiation for our sins, that he would, would, would take our place, that he would remove a wrath and punishment from our destiny and release us to the wonderful love, discipline, and correction as God would raise us up in the way that we should go. And you're about halfway there. Then you see the empty tomb, you know, where Jesus is now alive forevermore to, to rule and reign at the right hand of God for all eternity, never to have a kingdom stripped from him ever. I mean, that's really incredible, about three-quarters of the way there. Then you get to the point. All of this is for what reason? When Jesus is talking about the crucifixion, when Jesus is talking about the resurrection, when he's talking about all of these things that come, he says, hey, this is why. It's for this purpose, that my Father would send to you a helper. Because when people said, don't go to the cross, he said, wait, if I don't go, then he won't come. He didn't say, if I don't go, there won't be forgiveness. He didn't say, if I don't go, this or that won't happen. He specifically pointed out what needed to happen, the point of the cross. And the point of the cross, based on the words of Jesus Christ, is the sending of the Holy Ghost. So when we come to that conclusion, we see that God has done all of these things. All of the gospel is so that the Holy Spirit can be an active part of my life and your life. All of the work that, that Jesus would do, all of the crucifixion, all of the resurrection, all of the ministry that we would see is to ultimately bring the Holy Spirit into my life as an active and powerful force in and through my life. For what purpose? Well, to produce these things. To produce love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. To produce all of the things that are so unnatural for me to produce on my own. And when I consider this list, I mean, we could talk about any one of those things, but today we're specifically talking about self-control. I think it's important to notice, first of all, that it's unnatural. I need outside help for these things to be present and active in my life. Naturally, I am easily controlled by outside influences. Naturally, I am easily directed by the things that are going on around me. But by the power of the Holy Spirit active through my life, I can make my choices and decisions based upon the conviction that exists in my heart and not be led by those around me. I mean, as we consider these things, I think it's important to talk about what self-control actually is. And I remember when my children were young, actually when I was young, I had a record. And I would play it on a little record player. You know, you put the little needle down and you'd hear the scratch and then the music, would you hear the hiss and the fuzz, the... And then the music would start to come on. And then one of these songs was about self-control. And the chorus was, self-control means just controlling myself. And it sounds real profound, but the truth is, is enough to just kind of bend your brain. There are a lot of influences trying to control you in any situation or circumstance. I mean, there's so many voices trying to push us in different directions. And I, I considered this something that... that is easily just blamed on the current situation with, with media and news and things like that. But think about all marketing and advertisement. That's all that is, is to try to control you through influence. 30 seconds of influence. 30 seconds of influence. And then this is really weird. I'm either a, a total freak, and I might be, or this is something that is normal. Do you get commercials stuck in your head? I mean, does it not drive you bananas? I can sing jingles from when I was a child watching Saturday morning cartoons. I mean, that's really, that's, that's incredible when you consider it. I mean, I, I can't remember what I ate for lunch yesterday, but I could sing a song that I heard 35 years ago watching TV that came on for 30 seconds. 
that's kind of frightening, right? What sticks and what doesn't. But all of these things are to influence control over your life, to affect your choices and decisions, to all of the sudden, life was fine without that, now I want that. Can't live without that. Got to have that. You're being controlled by something outside. And God is, is not interested in that being a factor in our lives. He wants to liberate us from that outside control and those outside influences. So the promised Holy Spirit is present to produce all of those fruits in our lives, but specifically today we acknowledge self-control. And I consider self-control in the aspect of, of me keeping my act together in choices and decisions and activities and actions. And I want to base that on something I want to base that on its, its meaning and its definition. I'm a big fan of dictionaries and things like that. I think oftentimes we use words, and maybe we don't fully understand what the word means, and so the word gets diluted. But, but I want to pull here from the, the concordance, which is just a, a Bible dictionary, to define this word self-control, okay? Uh, so if you go and you look it up in the, the concordance, you'll, you'll find the word, and it'll say self-control. Uh, it'll, it'll also say temperance. And, and then it will give this side note, continence. That's an interesting word to consider, right? Uh, by definition, continence is the ability to retain one's bodily discharge voluntarily. That's it's kind of a thing, right? I mean, like, if you've ever had that be challenged, you would realize how frustrating that is. I mean, that's really, really bad news. But this is about keeping things together. This is about being able to hold things and to be able to manage things on your terms rather than have things be completely out of control and be led by situation or circumstance. And I, I really think that it's, it's very easy for it to become toilet humor, and I, I think that would be a shame for that to be the case. But I do think that we all have an awareness of the importance of controlling those issues. They're all real issues. We all have them. And our ability to control those things is, is our ability to manage every aspect of that situation. And to think about losing that control is to, to think about a number of things. Uh, you know, one, the discomfort, two, the, the, the inconvenience, uh, the, the, the mess, the shame or the embarrassment that might come with. Those are all real issues, and that's unfortunate. But when we consider losing our temper or losing our cool, I don't think we even put those things in the same category but if we were just to, for a moment, I think it would help us realize what losing our temper actually looks like. I mean, whether it is an emotional uh, loss of control or whether it is a physical loss of control, it needs to be seen as just that, a loss of control. This is something that I am in intended in every way in a picture of health to be in control over. It's not meant to be in control over me. I'm meant to be in control over it. And for any of that to be affected or changed is to open the door for discomfort and frustration. So I want to give you a, a couple of uh, passages of Scripture here as we, uh, as we move forward. Because keeping our, our thoughts and our mind and our, our, our uh, actions, all keeping them together, keeping them in order so that they are under our control and not under the control of outside influences or circumstances is a real important thing. I mean, uh, keeping our temper versus losing our temper is the difference between living a life of wisdom and living a life of, of foolishness. It's the difference between being productive and fruitful and, and having loss. Here's a passage of scripture for your notes here. Proverbs 29, 11. 
A fool always loses his temper, but a wise man holds it back. I mean, when you think about this with the definition of of self-control being uh, continence, you know, keeping control over those functions, I think it's really interesting to see that, that someone constantly in a state of losing that is someone that's constantly in a state of soiling themselves. Now, I don't mean that necessarily physically, but in any situation or circumstance, whether that be verbally, whether that be uh, emotionally, whether that be mentally, that there is an effect there that takes place that ultimately is foolish to remain in. To continue in that path is to just open the door for frustration and discomfort. A wise man holds it back. Wisdom being to hold in those things that are trying to come out so that they come out on the right terms and in the right circumstances and are not destructive. I'm going to give you another a passage of scripture here that I think is important for us to note. I mentioned before that we were going to find out what losing it results in. Let me give you this here, Proverbs uh, 29 22. Proverbs 29, 22. One that loses their temper abounds in transgression. So someone that's not operating in self-control, but someone that's losing it, they're not managing the situation on their terms or in their time, but rather they are losing control of the situation, is in this case... Uh, described or identified as one that will abound in transgression. Abound meaning that it's going to be produced in in abundance. And it's not really fair to use the same word or a derivative of the word, but there's going to be a lot of it. There's going to be a lot of transgression. And then we need to define the word transgression. That's kind of a a weird word, right? I mean, my children have never behaved in me be like, Lincoln, my son, you have transgressed. You know, I mean, it's, but it's a biblical word, and it's a real thing to consider. So Jesus uh, uh, talks about transgression often. God talks about transgression as he speaks to, to men like Moses and, and others, and, and, and he, he speaks specifically of transgression when he talks about the things that he forgives, that he's merciful and gracious and that he's willing to pardon. It, he says that I, I forgive sin, transgression, and iniquity. Now, we've brought that up before in other services, but I think it's important to note here Sin is, is just missing the mark. It's actually an archery term. Like if you had a, a target set up there and a bow and arrow and you're aiming for the, for the bullseye and you release your arrow and it's off a little bit, it, you were aiming for this and you hit that, that, there you go, that's sin. I mean, there are things that I do that I need to, to fix because they're wrong. I didn't mean to. I was shooting for that. I hit that. We need to correct. That's sin. Then you have transgression. Now, transgression is, oh, you hit right where you were aiming for. It's just not what you should be aiming for. The bullseye's right here. You want to hit that over there, so you readjust, and you hit exactly what you're shooting for. You do what you want, not what you're supposed to do. There's transgression. Uh, really, for, for the sake of my mind, when I'm reading in, in the Bible here, I will oftentimes uh, write above the word transgression, rebellion, because it's really what it is. I mean, I know where I'm supposed to be, I know what I'm supposed to be doing, I know who I'm supposed to be with, and I know what I'm supposed to be saying in this situation, but I'm going to do this anyway. Now, when we consider that as a definition of transgression, I think it really opens up the door for for what's going on when we lose our cool, when we fail to operate in self-control. When we fail to operate in self-control, we begin to operate in rebellion. Rebellion. 
If this is true, a a hot-tempered person or one that loses their temper abounds in transgression or abounds in rebellion, basically what's being said here is when we don't keep it together, we start to be rebellious. When we lose it, it opens the door for rebellion to be the result. Now, when I consider that, I start to understand why there's such an attempt to make me lose it all the time. I mean, it just seems like stuff is, is too strategic, too intentional for it to just be coincidental or accidental. I mean, I'm sure some of you are familiar with, with circumstances and situations like this. This is just an example, kind of pulled out of thin air, but it's a real example. Finally get some time to sit down with my wife. I sit down, and, and, and all of a sudden the phone rings, right? It's like, okay. Uh, it's like somebody has a camera in my house, and they just know, like, hey, He just sat down. Let's call him. And oh, remember that thing that we were supposed to do yesterday? Let's let him know that we didn't do it yesterday, but we're starting on it now, and we need all the materials delivered to us, right? It's that kind of stuff where you just, you you begin to see these things, and you think, I'm going to lose it. And what's going to happen now if I lose it is I'm going to, to hit a different mark than I'm supposed to hit. One, I might lose my cool and and say something that I shouldn't say or or do something that I shouldn't do, but I'm also going to be out of position because I'm supposed to be with her, and now I'm going to be over here with him, and all of this is messed up now. I need to use self-control. I need to control this circumstance. I need to control this situation, not the nonsense that's going on over there or over there or over there, but I need to, to live by the stability that's going on right here by the Holy Spirit, self-control. There's such an attempt to, to influence and control your choices and decisions that you'll be, you'll be hit with all kinds from all sides of scenarios and situations. There'll even be attempts to justify that giving in and being controlled by that outside influence is a good thing. And you'll have to pause and ask yourself, is this the voice of God or is this the voice of another? I have told my wife, my kids, my family, I've told the congregation, I've told all kinds of people that there were great intentions with some of the worst decisions ever made. And there really were great intentions. But the reality is, is that they were, there was control from an outside influence, control from an outside voice. And when we are not operating in self-control, we open up the door for rebellion, and that is never going to be good. Rebellion will be doing things outside of God's instruction, outside of God's ways. And then once that takes place, it's contagious. It's another reason why you see this is just such a great strategy to jack up your life. If I can come and provoke and I can come and make you be controlled by outside circumstances, I can open up the door for you to compromise and be in rebellion. And then from there, it will spread because it is absolutely contagious. We're talking like at a COVID level, contagious. Proverbs 22, beginning in verse 24. Don't associate with people that lose their temper or you will learn their ways and you will find yourself in a trap. Pretty interesting to consider. I mean, it's a passage of Scripture that we've used before in talking about other topics, but when you look at this passage of Scripture as it concerns self-control, it basically means that when you're around those that lose their control, that are operating outside of self-control, that are prone to rebellion, that it rubs off. If I can can lose control and I become rebellious, then those that I'm around begin to, and you have a domino effect of dysfunction, 
where instead of things being uh, increasing in their productivity and increasing in their efficiency, it just gets worse. Let me tell you something. There's a lot of things I've put my hand to in the name of solution that I have compounded the problem. (laughs) And in the name of being a hero, I have made it worse. I have to pause and ask myself, in those scenarios, in those situations, what was in control? Was there self-control, being led and guided by the Holy Spirit, or was there emergency control? Uh, Was there some sort of, this must be because of this circumstance or this reason, some outside influence leading and guiding the choices and the decisions being made? I mean, self-control is a really interesting thing to consider. In fact, for some, it's considered terrifying to think that you would be responsible for your actions can be really, really, really horrifying. But the reality is that God's given us this wonderful, wonderful gift in the Holy Spirit to produce self-control for the purpose of us walking in freedom. And and as we look to the scripture, you'll see a couple of examples of self-control being something that is is somewhat uh, terrifying. Uh, You have to go to the book of Acts. You can take this down for your notes. It's going to be Acts chapter 24. Acts chapter 24, you see the Apostle Paul, you know, beginning the, the missionary journey that would make up the epistles and everything that we celebrate in the scripture today. And, and as he's making this journey, it's met with hardship and trial. It's, it's met with all kinds of legal battles and, and all a massive process of bureaucracy and red tape because the world is being turned upside down with the message and the power of Jesus Christ. So Paul has actually been arrested. He's been arrested for preaching the gospel. He's been arrested for, for all of the activities that have taken place through, through the miracles, the signs, and the wonders that have, have uh, gone in the name of Jesus. And, and as Paul is arrested, there's a leader, and this leader is a guy who is known for his corruption, but he loves to listen to Paul preach. So he shows up and he listens to Paul preach and he asks Paul to preach and he loves to hear about Jesus. And it's pretty interesting that such a crooked guy would be so drawn to hearing about Jesus, to hearing about mercy, to hearing about grace, to hearing about forgiveness. But yet that makes perfect sense that someone who's in such need of of grace and forgiveness to, to wash over and to wash away all of the corruption and all of this inappropriate activity would be drawn to that message. And the word says that he would go to Paul and listen to him preach, that he enjoyed that. But then there's a passage of scripture that stands out, and I think it's really kind of interesting and worth noting from Acts chapter 24. It's verse 25. It says, Now then, when Paul began to discuss or preach righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix, that's the name of the corrupt leader, became very frightened and said, go away, and when I find time, I'll summon you. Let me tell you what that means. We don't really talk like that. Basically, what he says is, go away, don't call me, I'll call you. I don't want anything else to do with you. I loved hearing about the love of God. I loved hearing about grace and mercy. But when you started preaching about self-control, when you started preaching about me being responsible for my actions, when you started preaching that God has given me power and authority to make good choices and that I'm not just led by my appetites and led by whatever's going on, but that I actually have been equipped to be responsible for my actions, well, that's a whole other message, and I don't think I like that one. That's an interesting thing to, to consider and to look at. 
The reality is that this is the message, that that mercy, that grace, that forgiveness, the holiness that has been introduced into our lives is not introduced for the sake of, of being presumed upon through all kinds of corruption and immorality and, and, and dysfunction, but rather it's the equipping and the open door for the Holy Spirit to have a present and active part in our life, to lead us and guide us into righteousness and lead us and guide us through self-control into making right choices, living and functioning as responsible, effective, and righteous believers. It's a wonderful, wonderful gift. And when our mind is right, we hear this message with the understanding that God's made a way for this to be a reality in our lives. We consider that self-control is something that's an important and necessary part of walking in God's divine nature. And I think it's important to see that the rest of these promises all support one another. You have to go way back to the opening of the message when we were in 2 Peter chapter 1 to see that what led up to self-control were things like moral excellence and, and moral knowledge. Having the courage to do what's right, knowing uh, what's right, and then now the self-control to be making the choices and the decisions that are right. These are all things that God's brought into our life by the Holy Spirit to lead, for self, to, to lead us into a life of self-control. I, I want to give you a passage of Scripture here, and this is really where we, we close. But I mentioned to you before we're going to find out the right perspective that's needed to, to live a life of self-control. And, and I offer this to you. There are some points that, that I offer and I know are an absolute slam dunk. Then there are, there are other things where it's like, hey, listen, this is my opinion based on the Scripture here, and I want to offer it to you. And this one falls more in that category. It requires a little bit of reading between the lines, but then again, it doesn't. So I want to offer it to you, and, and we'll see where it lands in your heart. But the passage of Scripture is from 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I, I want to look at two verses here, 25 and 26. Now, Paul's writing, and as he's writing, he, he writes these words. He says, Do you not know that those who run a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Then he gives this word of encouragement. Run in such a way that you will win. What great words of encouragement. Now verse 25. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. Everyone who competes exercises self-control in all things. He goes on to talk about the reward that's to come and once again encourages that we move intentionally, that we operate intentionally, that we have aim, and that's a real important thing. Have you ever felt like you were just kind of wasting your time, spinning your wheels, or running around? If you're like me, you deal with that almost on a daily basis, unfortunately, because it's, it's just part of life, running here to there. And now you can feel the sting of running here to there because you can watch your fuel gauge drop in real time and just think, I'm going broke right now. I'm watching this happen. Wow, that's really incredible. But there have been days before where I think I've, I've put hundreds of miles on my vehicle. I've started my vehicle when the sun came up, and I didn't shut it off until the sun went down that night. And, and I'm thinking, this is really kind of wild. What all did I get done today? Obviously, I've been here, there, everywhere, but what happened? Well, the, the difference between running around and running a race is a finish line. It's a goal. It's, it's the point that you're looking 
to achieve. And when you have that point, you have that point of aim, you have what Paul lists here as, as that competition or that race, that you can run in such a way as to have aim, run in such a way as to have a finish line. But then now we get to the perspective that we need, and this is what I ultimately wanted to offer, that Paul wrote these words, everyone who competes exercises self-control in all things. Now, I know he's talking about athletic competition. I know he's using this example of running a race, having a goal, having a finish line, and, and then living your life in pursuit of that with the goal and the intention to cross that finish line and to win. But I take this passage of scripture in this example and I ask myself, is there anything more to that? Everyone who competes exercises self-control in all things. Everyone who competes exercises self-control in all things. I want to exercise self-control in all thing, in all things. So maybe that means I should compete. Maybe I ought to see my life as competition, that there's what God wants. And there's what everything else wants. And these two things are in constant competition with one another. Maybe I ought to see that the team that I have been recruited to, Team Jesus, is in competition with the voice of the world, trying to pull and tug and lead in a certain direction. Maybe I ought to get a little more competitive in my decision-making and be a little more disappointed when things aren't going right and a little more excited when things intentionally do go right in order to live a life of self-control. If competition equals self-control, based on Paul's writing here, maybe I ought to begin to see the competition for my time, my choices, my decisions, the competition for my temperament, the competition for the words that I speak, the competition for my attitudes and actions. It's a constant state of competition. God is calling me to reveal Jesus to the men that I work around, and the world is calling me to beat them down and increase further rejection into their lives and see to it that they're... they're not growing, not maturing, not being lifted up, but that they continue to be beat down. Uh, there's a constant call on my life to provide time and attention to my family, but the world is attempting to compete for that time, to introduce distraction and, and frustration and hardship and, and all kinds of reason to not be where I'm called to be. When I consider the need for self-control to be magnified, I see the importance of viewing things through competition. There's a competition for my time. There's a competition for my attitude. There's a competition uh, for my countenance. There's a competition for the words that I speak. There's a constant competition between being right and wrong. And for me to exercise self-control will start with me first, seeing that that competition exists, and then devoting my life to winning that race. I want to win with my words. I want to win with my time management. I want to win with my countenance. It's not going to happen by accident. It's only going to happen with intentional choice and decision. And it's only going to happen through the support and the presence and the activity of the Holy Spirit in and through my life. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. I want to pray for us. With so many outside influences attempting to grab a hold of our choices and decisions and affect them in directions that are destructive, there's a lot of opportunity to suffer what the definition would describe as incontinence, 
loss of control. But we've been called to hold those things together and equipped and empowered to hold emotions, words, actions, so that they are released in the right way at the right time and in the proper setting. What a wonderful promise to be equipped with. When what God's called us to is, is not to some uh, uh, situation that would be mission impossible, but rather he's called us to live this life and then given us everything that we need. When I consider Felix and I consider him hearing Paul's message and becoming afraid, I consider someone who sees the bar set too high for himself. Loving to hear about Jesus, loving to hear about mercy and grace, loving to hear about forgiveness, but then freaking out when the message of self-control is taught would really be where I would be at if I didn't think that there was the presence of the promised Holy Spirit to make provision for self-control because I know how little I have on my own. But for us, with the full knowledge of the promise of the Holy Spirit, the presence and the anointing of the Holy Spirit to lead and to guide and to bring the effects of the kingdom of heaven into choices, decisions, activities, actions, words, thoughts, you name it. He truly does fulfill his identity as a comforter it brings great comfort to me as I consider the call to self-control with the assistance and the help of the promised helper that Jesus sent, that is the Holy Spirit. I want to pray this morning, and I want to pray for us to embrace his help, to be comforted by his presence and his anointing, to bring about self-control into every situation that we would face. Not only that we just wouldn't be led by circumstance and situation, but that we would be comforted by the presence of the Holy Spirit. For some of us, it would just be simply responding to his direction and his counsel, his call. Some of us may experience hearing his voice for the first time, and that would be a wonderful experience. Others, we may live out our lives in the same way that we've been living them, just encouraged to continue in that way. But no matter what, for a group of believers to walk in self-control, empowered by the Holy Spirit, is for a group of believers to close the door to rebellion and compromise and to walk in the way that God's called them to. So there where you stand, I want to pray this morning. I want to pray for, for me. I want to pray for you and ask God for this wonderful work in our heart and our mind by the Holy Spirit. Father, we bless your name and we thank you. We thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit, that you would send help and comfort into our lives. You haven't called us to do things that are unachievable, but that you've set the bar in Jesus and equipped us with the power and the authority to function and operate just like our King. And let comfort fill our hearts and our minds. And let the, the, the sensation and awareness of your power and the authority of the name of Jesus and the presence of the Holy Spirit have its effect on our hearts and our minds as you would call us to live a life of self-control. When we're faced with the outside influences of this world, let there be a steadiness and a calmness that we would be able to breathe free from, from being overwhelmed by urgency and panic, but that we could remain calm and steady, trusting and knowing that you've equipped us with all that we need to make the choices, the decisions, to carry the countenance and bring the words of Jesus Christ into that situation. Let us be a people of self-control in all that we do, and let the door to rebellion be closed. Let that contagious anger and strife that results in losing temper stop with us. That it wouldn't continue to spread and lead others to destruction, but that we would be the place 
where solution is revealed, identified, and released. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.